and um, it took me to places that I never thought I was physically able to go and and, and uh, mentally as well. Um, but it also um, it ra- helped me raise a lot of money for motor neuron disease. But it also opened a, um, a huge part of me, I think personally, that um, that made me more connected with Elliot than I ever was. Oh, excuse me. This is uh, it still gets raw as a, as you can see, but um, yeah, it was like it's like when I'm out there running, um, and I'm feeling um, like things are getting really tough. It's like this, this is this is meaningful to me. It, it means something, and then I'm feeling connected to Elliot. So I want more. Hello, beautiful people. On today's podcast, we have the beautiful soul, Scott Richmond. Scotty is a husband, father of three, graphic designer, the persona Aussie on a kid's educational YouTube channel, and ultramarathon runner, most notably having finished the UTA 100km ultramarathon event in the Blue Mountains, Australia, nine times, having placed as high as sixth and most recently seventh place. What I personally love about this podcast is going deeper into the motivation behind Scotty getting into ultramarathon running, and particularly why he has participated in the UTA so many times. He shares that it all started to honour the memory and legacy of his little cousin Elliot, who passed at the young age of 19 years old to motor neuron disease. Fundraising for MND, Scotty wanted to try something that was well out of his comfort zone and a 100km ultramarathon was just that, not knowing at the time that it would lead to a long-lasting obsession. Scotty is a heart-on-his-sleeve kind of guy, and you can really feel into the pain that the loss of a young family member can bring. But also the passion. Scotty values the sentimental aspect of his running just as much as the competitive, and it is truly beautiful to hear the relationship between these and how it manifests in his high performance. If you are enjoying this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, share with friends and family, become part of the To Be Human Collective, and settle in for this conversation with the just genuine, all-round great guy, Scotty Richmond. Welcome to the To Be Human podcast, Scotty. Ah, oh, JL, it's lovely to be here. I feel very honoured, actually, that you've asked me to be on uh, as part of, of of your podcast, which is going very, very well. So, congratulations oh, you. to you. Oh, thank you. That's oh, what an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Honestly, I've I've uh, I've been listening along, and I've been very inspired by uh, the various guests you've had on. Uh, there's lots of different stories, and and finding lots of little nuggets of gold, lots of inspiration in all their stories. So, yeah, it's great. It really is. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I've 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 learned so much already and I'm very excited to to have a conversation with you today and learn something from you. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> so, as you're aware then, I normally start a podcast with a quote, and mm-hmm. the one that I've decided for you is from the wonderful Running Matters podcast. And it was something that I listened to and it just really made me feel like I began to have a deeper understanding of of who you are. Very good. Whenever things get tough out there, which ultimately they do in ultramarathon events, 
It is a choice to be out there and put yourself through that pain. And that pain is never going to compare with someone that is suffering with motor neuron disease. It is just that, that that makes you put things into perspective and dig a little harder. It is temporary. So, Scotty, I would love mm-hmm. you to share the very personal driver that got you initially into ultramarathon running. Yeah, look, um, even just hearing that, it, it sort of it chokes me up a bit because um, it's still, you know, I've, I've dealt with it for, for a lot of time now and um, and it is, it's uh, my, the, the passing away of my cousin, uh, Elliot, it still, it still sits raw uh, with me because um, he was a massive part of our life, but um, the way he faced, so he had motor neurone disease and he was taken from us uh, when he was 19 years old, uh, which is very young for someone with motor neurone disease. Um, but it was the, the way in which he faced his, um, his death. Like, it's not sugarcoated. He was dying. Um, but the way that he went about um, making sure that everyone around, around him was still feeling um, comfortable, uh, happy uh, and content in in the condition that he had was was admirable um, and inspiring. And um, the motor neurone disease motto uh, is ne- is never give up. And um, that stuck with me. And it's actually um, something that I wear. I've got a, a band here from Motor Neurone Disease um, Association. And um, and whenever I'm running. Um, on the trails and that quote sort of summed it up nicely because I it does it ultimately gets very difficult out there when you're running and as you know um, Jenna that you it, it, you got to dark places and it's tough but at the end of the day you do you, you choose to put yourself in those situations and um, the pain and the suffering will end because we're athletes do, we're doing that um, as part of our choice but uh, motor neuron disease sufferers don't they don't get the choice um, for that pain and suffering to end um, until ultimately they're taken from us. So um, it was a couple of years after Elliot's passing that um, I wanted to do something that was yeah, way out of my comfort zone, that, that, that really tested me uh, physically and mentally. Um, and I had a mate that had run the 100K at, back then it was called the North Face 100. He did that the year before in 2009. And I remember just seeing that on socials and thinking that's just insane who can run 100 k's um so leading into 2010 it was it was sort of january february and uh i was out having a few beers at a at a bucks party with that same guy that had run that 100 k's and i thought i've always wanted to do something since elliot passed that really tested me so why not do 100 k's so i spoke to this this mate about it and a week later we went for a run together um, at that stage, my longest run was 10 Ks. Um, we did 15 Ks together the week after that, I did another 15 Ks on my own. And I said, this is, this is hard enough, um, to run hundred Ks or to run 15 Ks. This is a hard enough goal for me to try and really, um, to achieve and to make people sit back and say, hang on a sec, Scott, Scott Richmond's not a runner. Yes. He's played (laughs) football for a long time and he's got a bit of fitness, but he can't do 100Ks. Why is he doing 100Ks? And it was that kind of reaction that I wanted from people so that I could use that event to raise awareness and obviously funds for motor neurone disease. So I did it. I signed up for the 100K uh, race, the, the North Face 100 in 2010. And after a few months of training, 
which I don't recommend for anybody <laughs> to go from 10Ks to 100Ks within a few months. Uh, I ran 100Ks and it was it was brutal. It was tough. It was, you know, the, the, not just the race but the training because my body was adapting to something that was way beyond what I was uh, physically capable of doing at that time and certainly in that short period of time. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was really good because it, it ticked a lot of boxes and, um, it took me to places that I never thought I was physically able to go and, 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 uh, mentally as well. Um, but it also, um, it ra- helped me raise a lot of money for motor neuron disease, but it also opened, uh, um, a huge part of me, I think personally that, um, that made me more connected with Elliot than I ever was. Oh, excuse me. This is, uh, it still gets raw as a as you can see, but, um, yeah, it was like, it's like when I'm out there running, um, and I'm feeling, um, like things are getting really tough. It's like, this, this is, this is meaningful to me. It it means something. And then I'm feeling connected to Elliot. So I want more. So I did, I, well, I didn't straight away, to be honest, I, I did the 100Ks and, and I finished and it was extremely rewarding for, for so many reasons. Um, but then I saw, I thought, you know, that's that's a massive achievement. I've ticked that off and I, I, I sort of moved on until my brother, who's two years older than me, said uh, about six months later, I want to do it with you. And I initially refused and I said, no, I don't think I want to put myself through that pain again. As much as I loved being connected to Elliot and the whole reasons uh, behind it um, were extremely motivating uh, I said no, but being a big brother, he was he was uh, consistent on on hounding me until I said yes. And I did. I said yes. I said, but I'm only going to do it if we do it together. And so, and I said, I'll only do it together with you if we can use it to raise um, more money and awareness for motor neuron. And we did. And so we we ran the, the race together, and it was that was just the next level. Doing something like that for those reasons um, with someone you love so much, in, in my brother took me to a whole new place and I was like, this is where I need to be more often, all the time. So that was my massive connection to running um, and to, to this day, and here we are, you know, 11 years later, I'm still running that same race. It's now called UTA 100, as you know, because you've done it. <laughs> and congratulations for finishing Thank a you. brutal, brutal event. <laughs> yeah. um, but here I am still running that race for the same reasons. Um and there is not a not a race that I run or a training run that's difficult that I do where I don't look down at that motto, that never give up motto, and say, yep, yeah, it's time to dig a little deeper. Let's do it for Elliot. Let's, you know, there's more in the tank. There's more, more that can be achieved. So, you know, put it on the line and see what you can do. Wow, it's 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 so incredibly touching. Thank you so much for sharing that, Scotty. It's such a beautiful story and certainly one that inspires me also on my runs. I think that it's just that's what, you know, is it can be about with the long distance running or endurance event. It's I feel like it's so much more than the event itself. It's it's almost like a spiritual awakening and as you said, like with your first two experiences with UTA, it kind of took you to a new level. Is that new level, like a new level of connection? Because obviously your first run, you felt very deeply connected with Elliot. And then the second run, you felt very deeply connected with Elliot and your brother. 
Yeah. How has that sort of changed your life outside of running in terms of like sort of having these new types of experiences? Uh, I think in general, um, connections and 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 being able to push beyond um, the perceived level of comfort and, and perceived level of what you think you can achieve within those within ultra running has ex- has has definitely changed my view on the way I do things in life in general. Um, because time gets t- you know life gets tough. Life is tough, um, but there's there's always more to give. Um, you know, you can, you can give more to your family. You can give more to your work. Um, and that's not saying you need to go and break your back to make everyone happy, but, you know, you can look at things differently and achieve things in a different way. Um, and that's what ultra running is about as well. And that's what it's taught me. You can, you can go faster and you can go further by changing the way you do things. And I think that doing that in all aspects of your life allows you to just tweak things to achieve more and get more out of life. So, um, it's, it definitely has changed becoming an ultra runner and ultimately doing that because of the motivation from Elliot has changed my life in so many, so many ways and for the better. And it continues to, because, um, I want to just take on more challenges and, and I, I do that and people go, what are you, why are you doing that? Like, haven't you got enough on your plate? Well, yeah, but there's more to give. Like there's more to explore. There's more to achieve. There's more to learn. Um, and life is short and, and life is there to be lived. And, um, and I, I don't know, I just put my hand up and say, oh, that's me. I, that's what I want to do. That's, what I, that's how I want to live my life. It's meaningfully and it's purposefully and it's being able to try and, and soak or squeeze the most out of life, get as much out of it as you can and, and experience new things. I'm not comfortable sitting still, as you can probably guess. Um, <laughs> But um, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. It's, it's like what you shared with the motor neuron disease motto of never giving up. I feel like that is certainly your motivation, but behind that is the energy of how Elliot sort of overcame his adversity mentally. Like he was not only not giving up, but it seems from my understanding that he was doing it in such a positive way. Ah, uh, he was... He was mature beyond his years. It was phenomenal. He, as I said, he it was taken from us when he was 19. Um, he was diagnosed when he was 18. It was a very short um, period from diagnosis to, to, his, to his death, um, sadly. But he was way beyond his years in, in terms of maturity because he, he stared down the face of death but chose not to sit there and say, oh, poor me, why me? He surrounded everybody with love and support and happiness and he made his room the most peaceful and happy place that it could possibly be. And we'd go, he lives in Newcastle and we would go up there and visit him and his friends would come around every time we were there and we'd, you know, different friends and they were his age, 19, 18. Um, and they, you know, you go into Elliot's room and he made the most beautiful um, living aquarium um, with, um, you know, with living qu- corals and, and beautiful tropical fish. And um, it was just a nice, beautiful thing that he could look at and focus on in the corner of his room but his room was filled and it, and it gradually got more and more. It was filled with artwork from people that were in his life that um, just wanted to make his, his place a, a brighter, happier place because he wanted, he made people feel like that. Um, and you'd go over there and, and every now and then, you know, every time you went over there, there'd be a new piece of artwork on the wall and not necessarily from friends that could do art. It was just because people felt inspired to 
have a crack at, at doing something different to make his room brighter. Um, and he encouraged that. And every time he went over there, there was sugar. There was lollies and ice cream and just, <laughs> just made people happy and smile. And, you know, you'd sit there and watch a movie and that would come chocolate upon chocolate and Maltesers and all his favourite chocolates because he wanted everyone to be happy, you know. And there he was, this, this 19-year-old kid, like, just fading away but he was making everyone else smile. It was just like, how can you possibly have that kind of outlook on life when your life is ending? So, yeah, just so many lessons from such a young kid mature way beyond his years, and it's so inspiring. So incredibly inspiring. It's certainly something that I'll be self-reflecting on. It just, it's absolutely incredible. And as you said, it's very mature beyond his years. Yeah, it is. And... uh, when in his last few weeks, my uncle um, spent a bit of time with him going through a, a journal and just when Elliot had the energy, um, my uncle Jeff would ask him questions and they'd fill in this book together. And, and one thing that stuck with me, and it's actually on his the headstone of his grave, and it's um, my uncle, one of the questions was, um, what do you choose? Um, and my cousin Elliot's response was, I choose to be happy. It's like, Wow. It's amazing. I mean, imagine if we all woke up every morning and just said to ourselves, today I choose to be happy. Yeah, mm. amazing. I mean, and to think that, um, you know, for us to do that right now, we're not sick, we don't have motor neuron disease, it's still difficult. You get up every day and choose to be happy. But for someone facing death at the age of 19 to sit there and say, I choose to be happy, it's like just incredible. Yeah, it's such a gift to be able to, you know, though obviously it's a very, um, it's a sad story. Um, there's such a gift in these stories of like, you know, us being able to hear this and to be able to really take that into our own lives, that perspective. Because, you know, I think particularly in the last couple of years, things have been very different with COVID. And I think, you know, we are, we tend to be more susceptible to, to feeling unhappy and feeling like we, we don't have the control that we normally do in our life. And yeah. to be able to hear stories of like that and hear of people like Elliot, that's, as you said, literally just, it's a choice, choose to be happy. And yes. yeah, I just feel like it's just very empowering to be able to, to know that there are people out there that are facing much harder adversities than you and I, but have, the capacity just as much as we do to be able to show up and and be a positive energy, um, I mean, to ourselves but also the people around us. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, And you touched on it there. Like everyone in the world right now is, is facing some kind of struggle and, and, and not just now because of COVID, all the time, right, but, but COVID is it's heightened um, and it's, it's bloody tough you know, to get up each day and, and choose to be happy. And some days it's okay not to be happy and that's fine. Um, but happiness starts with a mindset. And if you're getting up or if you're in a bit of a slump or you're not feeling good and you just say, just take a, a breath and stop and say, okay, I'm choosing right now to do something to turn this around. I'm choosing to be happy. Um, that's where it starts. And you're not going to instantly, it's not a button. You don't just press it and go, oh, I'm happy. I'm feeling great. <laughs> Um, but that's where it starts. You know, you can go one of two, two ways. You can sit there and say, oh, I choose to be a miserable old grump 
because <laughs> life sucks and COVID's stopping me from being able to go to the pub with my mates or go and do a race that I've trained so hard for. That's one thing you can choose. Or you can just choose to be positive about it. Put a positive spin on things and, and be happy or or do something that will lead you to happiness. You know, as I said, you're not going to be happy straight away if you just choose to be happy in a situation that's pretty damn shit. Um, but if you choose that path of positivity and happiness, you know, you will be a happier person and things will look a bit better for you um, and you'll be surprised that things actually start going your way if you do things with a bit of more of a positive and happy attitude. So, but don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting here preaching like I have all the answers to things because <laughs> it's a daily struggle for me as well. And it's a work in progress that I don't think is ever going to end because you're not ever going to be happy every single day. And there's always things that are going to challenge you and, and you're going to feel the, the struggle. But it's how you get through those, how you navigate those, those hurdles and those hiccups in life. Yeah, that's the beauty of life, isn't it? It's the contrast. We wouldn't know happiness if we were not to know unhappiness. So it's always good to keep that perspective. I know yeah. that I heard, um, I'm not sure if you continue to do it, but you were at some point doing a practice of um, having gratitude in the morning with your morning coffee. And I did think about you this morning because I woke up this morning and I didn't have a great sleep and, you know, you're, you kind of feel a little out of whack. And I noticed that I was feeling like that and I journal every morning, but, you know, to get myself out of that funk, I was like, I'm going to intentionally today write three things I'm really grateful for. And I just looked up and the beautiful sun was shining on my face. And, you know, I, I think sometimes when you're feeling like in that funk, it's just, it's just as simple as just looking around you and being really grateful for what's around you. And I, I said it was the sun and I said it was the beautiful expansive view that I had and it was just the fresh air on my face, the beautiful breeze on my face. And it was so interesting how quickly in that just one minute of gratitude that I began to feel different and feel different for the rest of my day. So I would definitely recommend, particularly the people are feeling very cooped up in COVID to, to just look around you to your family, maybe to your friends, or just to, I can hear the beautiful birds in your background, <laughs> just to, to bring it back to sort of the simplicity of life can, can certainly bring peace with that. Yeah, it, it certainly can. Um, Eddie, I do, in, in answer to the, your initial uh, point there, I, I still do the journal, not a journal, it's just a little diary that we write, something that we're grateful for. Um, when we make a coffee, I've got to be honest, it's not every single time we make a coffee now. Um, and we have sort of have probably slipped away from that a little bit, but it's still there with all those um, beautiful thoughts that we've had for over 12 months now, um, my wife and I. So if we are feeling a little down, it's nice to just go and pick up that little book um, and just read one or two things and, you know, you've you've written those things when you're feeling good or when you've when you've stopped and taken a thought, uh, moment to think about what does make you happy. So when you read back over them, you put yourself back in that place and you, it does. You, you bring a little smile to your face and it can change the whole day, you know, starting the day with something like that. So it definitely works. Yeah, I agree. When you when you feel unhappy, you're generally concentrating on something that you don't have and that you want or that you yeah. have and you don't want. So it's like really simple when you understand what makes you unhappy is like where your focus is and to be able to just start to be more in the flow of life and appreciative of what is around you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
So in relation to your second UTA event, it's it's very intriguing to me because you ran with your brother. And to my understanding, that was just one of the most amazing experiences of your life. Mm-hmm. I would love to know, you know, sort of get more detail um, into that experience of you doing this with your brother and and what made it so beautiful in that experience. Yeah. I think it was, um, I mean, the day itself was phenomenal, but I think it it was that we were training together for it. So it was the lead up and the preparation that made it special as well, because we'd ring each other and and we'd, you know, compare stories about how we were training and how we were feeling in our training. Um, So it was a journey that we were on uh, together, which, which probably um, heightened the, um, the satisfaction for both of us, uh, which, which was obviously, um, realized on the, the day of, of the actual race, uh, we ran together and, and I'd said that I didn't want to leave his side for the whole day. And we got to about, I think it was about 35 Ks, 30 Ks, 35 Ks. And, um, my brother was really struggling. He's, he was in a dark spot early on, you know, 30 Ks into the hundred K race is pretty early on still. So, um, I was trying to help him through that and and our plan going into it was we'd always, uh, we would run the downhills and flats and we would walk any hills and stairs. Okay, simple plan. Uh, and about the 30K mark was was flat. Um, but what was flatter was was my brother's energy, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so we, I went to jog off and he said, I can't. I said, what do you mean you can't? And there was so much doubt in his in his face in his um his attitude and his the way he was carrying himself i said what do you mean he said i i shouldn't be out here i'm not a runner i said mate come on like it's fine you know and try to put the positive um pour the positive um energy back into him but i just couldn't get it and so i said it's fine let's just walk let's just do our thing let's take it one step at a time and so we did, we, we walked and then I was trying to get him some nutrition back in. So the problem was that he was really, he really let his nutrition slip and in a, in a ultra running event, um, that's going to bring you undone because his body's not fueled. Um, it's not getting sufficient fuel. So he can't continue on the way he, sh- he wants to continue. And then once that goes, your mind starts to play some real tricks on you. Um, so he was having all this kind of doubts. Oh, I shouldn't be out here. I'm going to pull out. I'm going to pull out. I don't want to go on. This is hard. Um, but the next checkpoint wasn't until, oh, I can't remember back then. I think it was 45, 50 Ks. Um, I said, well, we've got to get to the next checkpoint, bro. Like, let's just do what we can to get there and we'll do it together. And and if you want to pull out, we'll, we'll do that together as well. Um, so we pushed on and we jogged and we walked and, and did a bit of running, but not much. And um, we got, closer to the the next checkpoint i was a few k's out and it was a pretty decent climb before you then have to go into the checkpoint so i i said look i'm just going to push ahead i'm just going to let you have a bit of time by yourself and um i'll meet you at the next checkpoint so i sort of ran or pushed up the climb a little quicker than him and then just ran into the next checkpoint um and just said to the family okay look dan's coming in um and he's not in a good place we need to to do what we can to get him through um, and hopefully back out of this checkpoint so that he continues this race because uh, I know that deep down he wants to finish it. So let's let's try and help him do that. So I ran ahead and I was there for 20 minutes, 25 minutes until he came in 
um, gave me the time or the chance to just prepare what I was going to say and what I was going to do. And, you know, he came in and I just gave him some, some nutrition, some Coke, just changed his nutrition up, got the um, DP out, gave his legs a rub. And um, you could just see his face, the color come back into his face and the attitude change, you know, his family, his wife and his little girl were there. Um, and, you know, my mum and dad and family were all around. And um, he just, the, the energy that he got from them and from, you know, nutrition, it was all starting to change his outlook on on the the rest of the race. And he just got up and said, let's go. We're not <laughs> stopping here. And so out we went. Um, and, uh, and we pushed on to uh, just before Nellie's Glen, you know, the course. So... Um, the massive big climb in, in the course, <laughs> horrible set of stairs. Um, but it's sort of we're just walking again and and we um, had a few discussions on how he was going and how he was feeling and he was in such a good place. He was just full of positivity and just it, there's nothing was going to stop him. I knew it. And he pulled me, he put his arm around me and he said, um, mate, I know you're holding back. I said, well, I'm not really holding back. I'm, I'm doing this with you. He said, yeah but this is something that I need to do now on my own. And I want you uh, to go and do the uh, run the rest of this race on your own as well. And he said, this has to happen. He said, I know we're going to do it together, but this has changed. Um, you have done so much to get me this, to this point and I need to finish the rest off by myself. And he said, I will not pull out. I will not, not finish this race. I'll have, I'll crawl it if I have to, but I knew he wouldn't. I knew that I, I knew he wouldn't crawl. I knew he was in such a good place that he would just smash it. And so I had one of these MND bands on it said never give up and I took it off and um, put it on his wrist and, and we had the the most um, amazing embrace and so much emotion in that moment and uh, and we said said our goodbyes and, and said see you at the end and, and off we went and off I went and he trotted along behind me and um, I finished the race and um, gave him a call and he was out on course still and just in such a positive place and I sat there and um, waited for him to cross the line and again we had a massive embrace and it was just a beautiful beautiful day beautiful moments throughout the day and something that um, brought us closer than we probably ever thought we could so pretty special very special and what do you think were his lessons out there because I I can completely relate like first time doing such a big challenging thing you can go into it with the headspace of thinking you know I am unstoppable I can get this done but then particularly with the UTA 35 kilometers in doesn't sound too far but you've definitely gone through a lot up until then Um, (laughs) and it can be quite a shock to people and I certainly in my experience or a lot of people pull out um, you know what would be quote-unquote early Um, what do you think that he learned about himself out there and it, did he change in any aspect after that experience oh that's a tough one look it's, I can't speak on his behalf but um I think that um you know maybe through that day and 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 what we shared but probably more so through if I touch back on Elliot through um the the inspiration that he is um instilled in all of us and i mean all of us like all our family has been touched by elliot's um by elliot's death in in a positive way um so and i know that my brother dan lives his life um 
in a similar way to me, he just takes, he just tackles things head on and, and, and looks for new opportunities. And his career has gone from strength to strength and it's taken him to really cool places and he's achieving some amazing things. And I know that that's because of the inspiration that he gets from Elliot and, you know, part of that day and what he was able to achieve that day was, was part of what I said, but in more, um, more than that was, it was the, uh, what Elliot had, had given us in a gift, if you like, um, when he, when he passed away, he just left a massive legacy, massive. Um, and I'll just quickly tell you another, um, um, person that he, he motivated and that's his mum who, um, I think you should get on the podcast because she's a phenomenal lady. She's summited six of the seven summits of the world. She's done Everest. Um, and she wasn't even a climber before Elliot passed away, but that's, where she finds her happy place. That's where she finds her connection with Elliot in a lot of ways, I'm sure, in a lot of places, I'm sure. But that when she's climbing and she's pushing herself in those crazy, crazy beyond anyone's even comprehension that doesn't climb, when she's pushing herself in those ways, she feels connected to Elliot. I know it. we've talked about it. And uh, and that's what I mean. That's the, the impact that he's had on so many people. So, yeah, amazing. The ripple effect is just yeah. phenomenal. <laughs> It really is. Uh, he certainly yeah. has left a, a legacy, a life-changing legacy. Yeah, he has. So in relation to the UTA, um, you've now done this nine times, which is yeah. just outrageous. Um, talk to me about this experience because doing the UTA nine times is just, yeah, it's something that I find very hard to relate to having done it one time. It was very, very difficult. What is... What is it that draws you back? I know that it can it's quite sentimental for you um, because what I found interesting was not only did it draw you back as someone that found it sentimental, but year by year you have just been improving and getting faster and faster. Yeah, look, um, it's, it's the connection to Elliot that takes me to the Blue Mountains to train and to do this race. That race is like a second Christmas to us. I've said it before. Um, it's so special to myself and my family. Um, and lots of my family have actually had a crack at it now. My uncle's done the hundred Ks, Elliot's dad. Um, his sister has done the 50 Ks, both not runners, just went out and did it because of what it means to us. Um, my wife, my sister, my brother-in-law, my brother have all been part of UTA in, in some distance or another. Um, and, um, and so there's that part of it that takes me back, but UTA for me, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do anything that's worth doing, then it's worth pouring all of my heart and energy into doing it properly and and seeing what else I can get out of it, how I can go a bit further and faster, um, and that's my competitive nature. So if I've done it nine times and, and I continue to improve every year, it's because I've learned from experience. I've learned to, um, I know the course, I know how to run the, you know, different sections of the course better. Uh, I train on the course because I know that if I do that, it's going to enable me to go th get through the course better and quicker. Uh, that's my competitive nature coming through. Um, but yeah, over the last few years, um, I've sort of realized that there's, there's probably a bit of potential to, to be nudging the top 10 at UTA. And, and I've managed to do that the last two years in a row. Well, not 2020 because no one did the race in 2020 because of good old COVID. 
but the last two times it's run, I've, I've managed to, to finish in the top 10. And that's, to me, that's the icing on the cake. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a great little achievement. Uh, but for me, it wouldn't matter if I'd finished 10th or 6th or 7th or 17th or 27th or 117th, whatever. Um, it's the improvement that I'm after every year. Uh, and that's what I love about ultra running. There's always something that you can improve on. And, and that's what I, I like to do in life as well, just keep improving on different aspects of life. And speaking from that competitive side to you, what is mm. one of your favourite memories um, since being more of a competitive runner? Favourite memories from being competitive? Uh, it would have to be the 2019 UTA finish. Um, that's my best competitive memory because I that's the first year I cracked the top 10. Um and I finished sixth, which, which still blows me away. <laughs> I still scratch my head. And that was a phenomenal day out. It was just um, everything fell into place. Um, and I, I had just had the best day. I had, I had such a ball out there and I was just slowly picking off people that uh, was thinking, no, nah, I shouldn't be up with you. I shouldn't be finishing ahead of you. But um, That's the yeah, headspace. <laughs> Sorry? That's the headspace you should be in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was just a beautiful thing. Um, so that's that's one uh, very fond memory from um, you know from a competitive side of running. The, the another fond memory of a competitive side of running is um, I didn't win the race; I came second. But it's the way I came second at the Human Hovel race, um, also in two thousand nineteen. It's probably my best year of running. Um, it was a hundred k race, but uh, and I was winning. I was winning for quite a while. I was leading. Um, by quite a bit too and um, I decided that um, I would not follow the course I'd missed a couple of uh, vital turns uh, and went went the wrong way three times which was which was tough it was a tough pill to swallow um, but um, what I what I loved about that race was that I slipped back into fourth but um, I managed to claw my way back up and finish second and I ended up running 110 k's in the 100k race <laughs> Um, but from a competitive side, um, and an achievement in terms of, of, um, of doing well in a race, finishing second in, in doing, you know, almost 10 Ks more than, than a few others, because I know a few others got lost as well, but, um, yeah, I managed to finish second and, and do a few more Ks than people. And, and to me, that was, that was just, uh, it was a nice, um, achievement. I would love to have run it, won the race, don't get me wrong that's the competitive side but to claw back to come second uh it was pretty satisfying as well and it also gave me some some promise um and some I took a lot of positivity because I knew that I'd taken my body physically to a place that I didn't think I could go again I, I thought that I had reached my peak and I knew how to finish a race strong far out that day it took me to a whole new place I finished that race like a man possessed it was ridiculous um and it was good it was good it was um it was, I still finished with a smile on my face. It was good. <laughs> so what is going through the mind of a man possessed? What What's sort of like motivating you to just like dig deep and get it done? Uh, that was, um, it was my mistake. It was my three mistakes that got me lost on that course. Um, so again, it's one of those, those, uh, those points where I could have just put my head down and, and, and become very negative and said, well, 
you um you've got yourself lost you may as well just walk it in and and finish in a slump and put your head between your, your put your head down and and um and not be positive but i thought no no this is your problem you've got yourself into this you need to fix it and by fixing it um see it as a challenge let's see who you can who you can catch up to who you can pick up and how fast you can finish this race so um that's the path i chose and and just going through my head the whole time was like, how far away is first? Like, could I possibly come back and win this from being so far back? Um, so when I, you know, I, I went from fourth to third, it was just like, wow, that's, that's cool. That's a good feeling. We're second, you know, and, and he was a lot further away, but, um, and I think I passed him within, within a K or two before the finish line. And I think he looked at me as if to say, what, happened to you and how the <laughs> hell did you get here um and how are you pulling away from me so quickly because i was i was running like i had a uh, a second wind third fourth fifth wind i didn't know how i was going so fast but i was and i was loving it um so i went with it and uh and i i don't know i just think that there was just so much positivity in me that i wasn't feeling any of the pain i was running way quicker than i thought i could uh and i was still just chasing down um you know, a good, a good result and a good achievement. And I managed to do that. So I'm happy with that. And in, in sort of uh, connecting with this deeper part of yourself, as you said, it was just like, it was almost a new experience of like the physical side of how part, how hard you can push. Yeah. Moving forward from that run, has that sort of changed the way that you compete knowing that there is a lot more to dig deep on? Yeah, it has. It's, um, Last year being just a year full of cancelled races, it's such a shame that I couldn't compete last year because I think it would have affected me. I think that experience at Human Hovel where I got lost would have um, set me up for a really good year last year. Uh, I didn't race again until this year, so it was more than – it was about 15 months between races, which is a long gap. And, yeah, I definitely uh, approached these, these couple of races I've had this year with that knowing that I have an extra, there's another gear there. I can dig a little deeper. Um, it's definitely, it definitely helped me in those races. Um, and I definitely drew on it, but uh, I probably think that there's more that, that I can draw on. Like if I get that deep in the hurt locker again, or if I get that deep in, um, in just screwing up the race and, you know, going the wrong way or something, um, I'd like to be able to f- see where, um, where that, uh, the memories of, of human hovel could take me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very intrigued and um, excited <laughs> to continue watching your journey. Yep. So I know that family is really important to you, like really, really important. And it's something that yeah. I personally really admire within you, particularly when it comes to training for ultra marathons at the level that you do. I know that there are a lot of people out there that really struggle to find that quote unquote balance with being able to train hard for such a, a long distance event, which takes up a lot of time and still being able to show up as, you know, who they need to show up for in their family. Yeah. How do you sort of manage doing that? Uh, it's a tough one. Um, but I don't, in a nutshell, I don't train year round because that would just be extremely selfish and unfair on my family. So when I pick a race, I'm strategic about when I do the race. I mean, 
UTA is un- without question, it's the first race on the calendar. Uh, and so the few months leading up to that is um, it's known that I'm going to, you know, dad's going to be out of the house a little bit more. Um, he's going to be off in the bush running and, and the kids know that and they're part of that and they're supportive and they love it. So that's great. Um, the biggest support comes from my wife who is a runner herself and she was also training for UTA this year. She did the 22K and that was the first time um, doing a race at UTA. So balancing the, the training between the two of us, it did get difficult, but it's just um, sacrifice and compromise and, and partnership, you know, just working together. So who's going to run this day? Who's going to run that day? Um, and just getting the most out of your, of your training sessions, making sure that there is um, you're strategic about how you train so that you're, um, you are getting benefits out of every single training session. Um, because in my case, I don't train seven days a week or even six days a week because I don't have the the ability to fit it all in. Um, so the training sessions that I do do, um, I do get a lot out of them. They're very strategic. Um, but also, you know, just the simple things like getting up earlier, uh, trying to get the training in before the kids wake up so that you still can get home and, and help, um, with getting the kids ready for school and, and for whatever else is on. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of balance, but there is definitely sacrifice. I'm not going to shy away from that. Um, when you're running and training for these races, it, it, there is a, an element of selfishness that, um, that has to, to come into it because you do have to spend so much time alone training. Um, but it's then what happens outside of that training. How do you give back to your family so that you can, uh, find that balance, um, um, in, in training and, and balancing a family and, and whatever else you've got going on in life. And I heard, which I absolutely love, is that you and Kate at some points get a babysitter on a Friday night and sort of like <laughs> have an early night together and then the next day we'll go out to the mountains or wherever you sort of want to go out to the national park and have a run together. Um, yeah. Do you still do that? Yeah, um, not as much these days because there's three kids um, is a bit more challenging to, to get a babysitter. <laughs> and, although, you know, I shouldn't say that because my um, – my in-laws and my own parents are extremely supportive and, and and will look after the kids at the drop of a hat if they haven't got any other, you know, of their own social commitments on. Um, but, yeah, people laugh at us because we would get the kids looked after and have a, a date night, which means for us to have an early night so that we can get up early the next morning and, and go up and, and train in the Blue Mountains or on the local trails around the Royal National Park. But, yeah, we... Um, actually we did do that this year. We got the kids looked after and, and, um, we went up to the Blue Mountains so that I could run, um, on the course for, to, to prepare for the hundred K and my wife could familiarize herself with the 22 K course. Um, and, uh, and we were up there training and, um, it was all fun and games until we rang, uh, to check in on the kids. And my, uh, mother-in-law had fallen and broken her mm-hmm. arm while she was looking after the kids, taking them for a bushwalk. So it was all right. Jump in the car, quick sticks back to to look after the kids and then also look after grandma. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Poor thing. Yeah. So um, that I'm aware you uh, coach your son's, I don't know how to say it, is it like an Oztag sort of team? Is there a name no, for it's it? No, it's AFL. AFL. It's, oh, it's it is AFL. AFL. Yeah. Okay. So I used to, I used to coach um, Ozkick, which is Oz-Kick, junior AFL. that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I coached Auskick for three years. 
uh, which is for it's in, introductory to AFL. It's for kids from the ages of four or five through to eight. Now this year, um, I've been coaching the under nines team. So my my oldest boy is eight, and he's moved into the under nines. Um, so I've been coaching them this year. Um, the the local junior footy club that I actually played all my junior footy at too. So wow. it's quite nice to be in a different position now and, and be able to give back to the club. I love being able to coach um, the boys and, and see their continued growth and development because it's a big step going from Auskick through to uh, to under nines, which is, you know, proper AFL with tackling and um, a lot bigger field and uh, more positional play on the field. So it's nice to see the kids develop and grow in that Um it's just a shame that our season has just come to a grinding halt because of COVID. And I don't know when it's going to be back on, but um, trying to keep my boys at least engaged in, in getting up the oval and having a kick with the footy so that when it does start, we're ready to go. And I know the AFL was such a big part of your life. And in mm. coaching your children, I also know that you try to steer away from the focus always being on winning. So in knowing that, what is it that you coach them that is important in competing? Yeah. So there's, there is no scores kept in under nines football. Um, yeah, which is, it's good and bad, I think. Um, <laughs> because kids need to learn how to, to lose as well as win. But my kids know. I mean, they're old enough. They know the score. You know, they add up um, when they're out on the field. So they know if they've won or lost. But to me, it's not about whether they win or lose. Um, it's nice to be aware of it, but it's not – if you don't win, um, if you don't win, you learn, right? So why not see every opportunity in every game to learn to, to learn something? And uh, there's a couple of games this year where the opposition team has, has been – uh, way stronger than us and the ball has been in the, our back line a lot. So I just talk to the kids at quarter time and half time and three quarter time and just say, look, there's a huge opportunity for us here to work on our defensive skills, you know. So um, when they've got the ball, let's put the pressure on, let's tackle, let's, you know, just little bits and pieces to give the kids um, something to focus on rather than just putting the head down and saying, well, we're getting smashed, um, let's let's take some positivities out of this. And and then in under nines footy, there's so much growth and development from, you know, the first game through throughout the season um, that there's always things to learn and to, to work on. And to me, that's the competitive, um, that's the competitive angle I take because you can always be, be competitive with yourself. Um, you can always learn to kick better and you can learn to handball better and learn to, you know, read the play better and, and run to a different position on the field better. So, that's the competitive angle I take with the boys and be competitive with themselves, not necessarily with the other team if, if, they're, um, if they're way stronger. Don't compare themselves to them. Compare themselves to their last week's effort. Are they doing better? Are they kicking better, achieving more, et cetera? That's extremely powerful and very wise words for young kids to be learning. So in dad being a coach, um, and also a competitive ultramarathon runner that I'm aware your family is always there for you at the UTA at each checkpoint cheering dad on. What do you yep. think has been your ripple effect into your children's lives in the way that you show up? Um, I, I, I hope that they just take out of what I do and the way I go about things I just hope that they take out that um, anything is possible 
you know, if you just work hard enough um, and you are dedicated to something, then you can achieve it. Uh, because I wasn't a, I wasn't an ultra marathon runner when I signed up to do the North Face 100. And I've spoken to them about that, you know, and, I, and when they say, I can't do that, I said, well, you can't do it yet. You know, don't say can't because I couldn't run 100Ks until I went out, worked hard and did it. Now, it's not as simple as that, but if you break it down and just put those little simple messages in kids' heads, it gives them something to hang on to and, something, you know, some positivity. Um, you know, we're watching a heap of Olympics at the moment, which is fantastic. I've got a sport-loving family, which I'm grateful for. Um, and my little boy was watching gymnastics the other day and he's just sitting there absolutely glued to it. He'd never seen it before. And, and he said, I want to be a gymnast. Said, Mate, go and be a gymnast. He said, let's do it. Let's sign you up to, you know, the local um, gymnastics club and, and if that's what you want to do, let's, let's try it first. Um, if you love it, let's work on it. And if you want to be at the Olympics, let's achieve that goal together. You know, there's, there's no reason for, for kids to sit there and look at uh, something and say, well, I, I can't do that. Um, I think you just need to, I think people in general just need to facilitate their kids' goals um, and also instill with them a sense of belief that they can achieve anything. All these Olympians and all these other people that have achieved um, greatness in all walks of life, whether it be uh, academic or, you know, business or or Olympians, they started somewhere. They are all kids with a dream or with an inspiration, with something that ignited something within them. So harness it, facilitate it, nurture it, and help them, you know, take the right steps to achieve that because we're all capable of way more than we give ourselves credit for. Yeah, exploration, self-exploration is just so important and to have that curious headspace to, to, you know, not judge your children if they want to do gymnastics or potentially be a, a gymnast at the next Olympics to to be able to give them space to just, you know, let's find out. Let's see if you like it. Let's see how hard you want to work for this. And, yeah, I think that um, they're very fortunate to have a father like you with your open headspace. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> it means a lot. I'm doing my best. <laughs> I can certainly see that. So in taking a little bit of a turn here, um, mm. Talk to me about Aussie. Aussie. Aussie is a friend of yours and he's a friend of mine. (laughs) (laughs) That's what the song says anyway. Um, Look, Aussie is a project that was born uh, 12 months ago, actually. It's actually, um, we put our very first video up 12 months ago today. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you very much. So for those that, (laughs) it is, it's exciting. It's a nice little milestone. Uh, And we've come a long way in uh, in 12 months. Uh, for those that don't know, Aussie is a YouTube channel uh, and we create educational and entertaining videos for kids aged 2 to 10. Uh, and Aussie is a, a fun, lovable Australian character um, and that's, that's me. I, I take on the persona of Aussie uh, and through Aussie we present kids um, with information, education, on all things in life. And, uh, you know, we, we started off our first couple of videos uh, was an educational video on AFL. So it's breaking all the skills down and introduction, introduction to, to AFL for kids. 
And our other video that we put out a year ago today was our fire truck video. So it's um, down at the local fire station, um, exploring what a fire truck does and all the different parts, meeting a couple of fire women and firemen, um, and just opening those um, things up to kids. And just the the whole thing with with Aussie and our slogan, our tagline is "Stay keen," and that's. Um, that's just it came naturally. So it wasn't our, our tagline from the start, but after a few um, episodes in, we started saying at the end of our episodes, we're saying, you know, kids, if, if you love AFL and you want to work hard, who knows, maybe you could play in the AFL one day. So get out there, have fun and stay keen. And so we'd say stay keen. It was like, it just felt really natural because everything that we're doing in all our episodes is, um, is encouraging. It's, it's igniting that flame for kids. So it's exposing them to something and then showing them where it could possibly take them and saying if they stay keen, they can get there. Like we did a surfing video with Sally Fitzgibbons, um, one of Australia's and the world's best surfers who competed yesterday in the Olympics for Australia and won her heat. And the way she went about it and the way she goes about life is unbelievably inspiring. And it's connecting with those people through Aussie and then connecting the, uh, the kids to those people, um, showing them you know, where they've come from and breaking skills down to the basics that we want um, to facilitate with Aussie, which is great. And uh, and we do a lot of videos on um, Aboriginal um, culture. We, you know, did Anzac Day, Harmony Day. Um, we did an Olympics video. Uh, so there is a lot that we're covering. Uh, we do a new video every single week, every Sunday at 3 p.m. Uh, YouTube channel, uh, new, new video drops on our YouTube channel. Uh, and in the 12 months that we've been up and running, um, We've gained some good momentum and things are going uh, really well, actually. We we love it, first and foremost. So my business partner, Dylan, um, is is the guy that I produced or that, that um, I work on Aussie with, and it was his idea. He came to me with the idea at the start of last year and uh, I said, I want to create a YouTube channel. Um, the guy's name is Aussie. Uh, I just need you to help me create a logo because I work in branding. And so I said, no worries, mate, and we worked on the logo together, um, developed the brand together. I said, who's going to be Aussie? He said, not really sure. Um, I had a guy in mind, but it's not going to work out. He said, I think you'd be really good. Do you want to try your hand at being on the other side of the camera and and presenting some of the the scripts and and the content? I said, hey, why not? You know, life's about having having a crack at new things and taking on new challenges and putting yourself out of your comfort zone. So there I was, put myself way out of my comfort zone and and um, and started, you know, working with Dylan on Aussie and um, I was so hesitant to put our first video out because here I was, Scott Richmond, father of three, you know, runner. I was never a, a kid's YouTube presenter, um, <laughs> educator, entertainer, but we got it to a place that we were comfortable with and I had to get myself within myself to a place that I was, comfortable with um exposing myself as Aussie to the world because I just didn't know how I just didn't know how I was going to be received I didn't know how the channel was going to be received I didn't know how personally people would take me um would my mates think well dude that's um that's a bit weird um and I'm not sure why you've done that or would they be supportive uh, and get behind it and after we put our first couple of videos out um, the positivity came flooding in and so we just set, made a commitment to each other, Dylan and I, that we would put out a video every single week 
and just ride this wave and see where it took us. Um, and here we are, yeah, a year, a year later, we've got uh, about 60 videos live now um, and uh, fans all over the world. We get um, emails more and more recently uh, from fans from other countries saying we've just stumbled across Aussie. You're such a positive influence on our kids. Um, you know, our kids walk around saying stay keen um, and thank you for, for giving us some meaningful uh, content that our kids can watch. And so Dylan and I, that's, that's all we want to achieve. You know, I mean, we want to achieve more, but that's so satisfying. That's a massive part of what motivates us every day to, to work on Aussie because it is not uh, a financially rewarding project at all. Um, but we see massive potential in reaching more kids and inspiring them all around the world. And we think that, um, you know, financial rewards will come eventually, but that's not what it's all about right now for us. And if you could give one gift to all these children that watch Aussie, what would that be? Stay keen. Stay keen. (laughs) Yeah. Look, just, um, uh, follow your dreams. You know, if there's if there's something that you're inspired by that Aussie's done, um, if it's a surfing video with Sally Fitzgibbons and, and you love surfing, go and be Sally Fitzgibbons. Go and be the next Sally Fitzgibbons. You know, stay keen. Keep working hard on whatever it is that you love and uh, and enjoy it. And also give everything a crack. Like Aussie's done ballet dancing videos. Um, nothing wrong with that. You know, go and give everything a go because life is there to experience so many different things. So that's what Aussie's just like this contagiously enthusiastic dude that goes out and tries everything. Um, and if you're not good at it at the start, it doesn't matter. Um, if you're not good at it ever, it doesn't matter as either. And if you don't like it, it doesn't matter. But if you've given it a go, then you can make that call whether you like it or not. I absolutely love that you walk your talk. And I think that's one of the biggest inspiration for the children is to see you staying keen and leaning in. In terms of headspace, this is something that very much interests me, particularly, you know, me coming into the podcast space. Um, there is that element of like, how will I be received or, you know, what will people think? And you certainly have to put that to the side to act- actually sort of execute and get things done. What has yeah. sort of helped you and sort of, as you said, sort of being Scotty Richmond, known as like, you know, father of three, husband, UTA, like, you know, ultra marathon runner to now becoming this persona of Aussie. What is, what was the switch for you to be like, it's no longer important to be concerned about what people think because I want to do this for myself. Yeah, that's the, that's the biggest battle, I think. Um, And that's probably what stopped us putting out Aussie a little earlier than what we did is because that perfectionism in me um, and just wanting to get it absolutely right. But but what is absolutely right? What is perfect? Like it, we got it to a place where um, I was comfortable with it um, from a brand perspective um, and from a personality perspective and uh, the graphics in, and the delivery of how Aussie was um, presenting the content. Um, I, I had to get comfortable with um perfection was never going to be achieved because if i did if i didn't then we would not have aussie live aussie would never it would be an idea um like a lot of ideas that dylan and i have had it would just be an idea that's bubbling away in the background but we just made the call to and covid gave us the opportunity to be honest to spend a lot of time on it because we had no work you know i was out of work dylan was out of work 
Um, and so we're fortunate that that COVID gave us that time to um, to do something that was productive. Um, but we chose to do something that was you know, meaningful as well. Um, and I had to, I did, I had to let go of the idea that it was going to be absolutely polished and perfect, and and everyone was going to love it straight away. And you can't control a lot of those things. People are going to love it. People aren't going to love it. I'm just really fortunate that we found a formula, and we're still. We, we're honing things as we're going. We're learning and developing and improving as we're going. But I'm really happy that from the outset, we managed to find a formula that people were responding to and people, you know, kids in particular were engaging with. Uh, and also the parents weren't finding cringeworthy because that was a massive thing for us. I didn't want to be a, a YouTube, I didn't want Aussie to be a YouTube channel that the kids would say, please, can we watch Aussie? And the parents would go, oh my God, do we have to watch more Aussie? It's so annoying. <laughs> Because there are so many YouTubers like that, and that's what we—that's deliberately why we positioned Aussie the way we did. Because we wanted him to be a fun-loving character that the kids could relate to and learn from, but also the parents. And that's why a lot of our content is—it's all geared towards the kids. But throughout the video, we deliver facts and and stuff that is going to go over the kids' heads a lot of the time. But the parents can hang on to that too, and they can learn something along the way. Because why not? Like, why not give everyone a learning experience with Aussie? So it seems to be working and, and we're loving it, having a ball. Yeah, I can certainly relate to you when you speak about sort of this element of perfectionism. We were even speaking about this before we started recording the podcast. And, you know, for me personally, in terms of this podcast, you know, my perfectionism stopped me from even having a podcast. And then I yeah. kind of like, you know, made a deal with myself. I'll do one every two weeks. And then throughout sort of this experience, I'm like, oh, I'd like to do like three to four a week. But in my experience, I don't know how you've sort of had the last year for you, but I'm almost finding an element of liberation within me now that it's just like letting go of that perfectionist tendency of having to get everything like quote unquote right and just like stay with the purpose of why you're doing this and the passion and be able yeah. to execute through that. And I certainly feel like I have fundamentally changed as a person in other areas of my life. And I think it's a great example for other people to, to not be so bogged down on what people think or even what you and your judgments of yourself that come through yeah. this. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's, there's, um, it's, great to hear that you're you're developing in um in all aspects of life from your podcast because projects can do that um and i i find that um there's a lot of me in aussie in there's a lot of me scott richmond in aussie the character but there's also a lot of aussie in scott richmond these days <laughs> um which is really funny it's it's a funny little thing that the, the worlds are colliding and and i find myself trying to not trying to but i just naturally find myself being more upbeat and positive about the way I coach the kids at footy or the way I, I'm, I am with my own kids because that's what I have to do um, on on camera for Aussie. So it's really, um, don't get me wrong again, I'm not 100% upbeat, positive and happy dude all the time because <laughs> and my kids experience that. That's human nature. Um, but I try to be and I try to be more fun and um you know, I try and make everything a little bit more, you know, educational or um, just put a, a different slant on things like lockdown, a lot of, uh, a lot of time to spend with the kids and, and a lot of time to fill and, and activities to be thought of and created. Now, 
we would always spend our time kicking the footy or playing cricket or um, playing basketball. Um, but the kids are, you know, we've done a lot of that lately. So the kids are looking for new things. So um, my eldest is absolutely obsessed with Survivor. So <laughs> yesterday we were out in the backyard uh, setting up our own Survivor challenges um, and they got me to get the camera out so that I could video it and I had to present, uh, pr- pretend to be the host of Survivor and interview them and talk them through the game and then commentate it and it was so much fun. It was so much fun. So that's a little bit of Aussie coming in. That's a little bit of, you know, fun dad. That's a little bit of education, a little bit of everything. Um, but, yeah, that's sort of how the worlds are colliding at the moment, which is it's cool. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. I just recently interviewed Nick Idenza, who was on um, Australian All-Stars Survivor, and he has yeah. a beautiful st- story, actually a picture of when he was around 11, 12 years old doing Survivor Challenges, um, sort of, you know, stand- endurance challenges, standing on a stump for hours on end, you know, and at that point in time, I think most of his family thought he was absolutely nuts, probably <laughs> still do, but um you know, he, he got on there, he got on there twice and he lived his dream. And, um, yeah. you know, part of the title I put was manifestation King. Cause I was just like, it was just, it's amazing when you hear stories of that, you know, playing into sort of what you're saying. It's like, if you stay keen on, on what it is that you want in life, like I certainly have no doubt that you can achieve it. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. No doubt. Yep. I'd loved to, speaking with you, Scotty. Thank you so, so much for this podcast. I'm very appreciative of it. And as I sort of said towards the the start of this podcast, um, your story of your cousin Elliot has certainly inspired me um, in in deeper ways and and a place that I'm going to be certainly self-reflecting on how I can be more positive and grateful in my life despite adversity. So thank you, Elliot, and thank you for sharing that story. Not a problem. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time um, that you've given to me and 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 wanting to get me on in the first place. And um, you know, sorry things get a little bit raw when I do talk about Elliot, but I think that's just you know how I wear my heart on my sleeve. And when it's it comes to Elliot, it's pretty. It's um, he's a special and inf- influential person in my life. So it gets me every time. Yeah, I certainly don't think that you should ever have to apologise for wearing your emotions on your sleeve. I think it's incredibly beautiful that it still touches you in such a deep way. And I think that says so much about how much reach that this story has had because you are so connected with, with the energy of Elliot. So be proud of that. Thank you. On a final note, I would love to ask you, what does it mean to you, Scotty, to be human? Um. To be human is, it's a gift. You know, we're all incredible people. We can achieve way more than than we actually think we can. Um, people, I think, just get caught up uh, living life um, to what they think is a prescribed way of living life and, and ticking off boxes, buying houses, working nine to five job, uh, not thinking that they're capable of achieving um, other things that they may have in the back of their mind, going out and starting a channel like Aussie, climbing up a mountain, running an ultra marathon. Um, but to me, you know, to be human is to seek growth in every opportunity and to, to seek out those opportunities, you know, to satisfy the curiosity in what lies, you know, way beyond your comfort zone and to constantly push those boundaries, you know, of our, what are our perceived abilities. Um, 
I think it's, you know, to be human is to continually find those opportunities to better our place in the world, you know, not just um, to contribute to ourselves personally and our personal growth, but to contribute to those around us. So, um, yeah, I think it's just about finding more and, and achieving more and, and, uh, and enjoying life and giving it your absolute best in everything you do.